Well, welcome everyone to Foothills Christian Church. We are glad that you are here on campus. If you're here for the very first time, you're welcome. If you're watching for the first time, we're really glad that you're joining us. And you might be wondering, what is up with all these people wearing all these ugly sweaters and this incredibly awful jacket that I'm wearing? You might be thinking that we are weird. You're right. No. Um, but basically what it is, is a lot of people like to have fun. They put on ugly sweaters. But in reality, it also is a subtle reminder for each and every one of us is that we are a church of imperfect people. And many of us have come from pasts that were filled with imperfections. One of the things that I did on the inside of mine is I write words, you know, of things that, uh, that plague me, selfishness, pride, stingy, insensitivity, things of that nature. And the, these are the ugly things that we, that we bring. And that, it's really interesting because how did the sign, the symbol of death, the cross, become the thing that is the symbol of the greatest gift to humanity, right? And so in a subtle way, it's kind of like that, and that is, is that your ugly sweater is just a reminder that uh, when you come to Christ, you get to take everything off, right? It's all gone. And so that's part of the reason why we do it. It's just a subtle thing. You know, Foothills is a place. It's a place that we want to coach you up in your faith. Uh, we often say we're not here to tell you what to think. We want you to think for yourself. But in order to do that, you need to learn how to think, and you, learn, you need to have truth and knowledge and all that sort of thing. And we want to do that because we want you to grow strong. Because in the end, it's not what I think, but what you think that grows your faith. It's not what I do, but what you do. It's not what I believe, but what you believe. And so I want to help you strengthen all of those areas. We're very excited about uh, reaching out on Christmas Eve. We love to invite people. Many people start their faith journey on uh, Christmas Eve because a friend invited them to a Christmas Eve service. So here's our service times. And if you can, do us a favor and register. It's very, very easy. You just scan this QR code and then you just say, hey, I think I'm going to be coming to the 4.30 service or the 11 a.m. or whatever. What that does is that helps us make sure we have a really nice even uh, distribution and space for everybody. We want people to have a really great time. Uh, the Christ's Birthday Offering Challenge is huge. Uh, it's a matching challenge. So uh, we just hope that it's... Ex a great time for you. Also, we're going to be doing some special music from uh, King and Country. We're going to bring out a whole bunch of instruments, so it's going to be full and loud and fun, and it's going to be really great. Now, what the Christ Birthday Offering does is help us not only in our regular ministry that we do uh, to children and students and missions and benevolence and across the board, but also a lot of really new things that we're going to financial pieces coming. Uh, in January, it, that's an incredible course taught by one of our elders. You won't want to miss that, especially helping you get set up for next year. There's a Bible recap group that's starting. You have a little uh, app that you have on your phone and you do a little bit of reading. And then every other Wednesday, they're going to get together and meet and talk about what they are learning in the reading kind of process a little bit. It's a really great way to help you read through the Bible. And so we're very, very excited about that. We've got Next Steps class. If you're new to faith, if you're new to trying out things uh, in your journey with Jesus, then boy, that's the place to do it. Now, we are currently in our series, um, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. But before I start, it's important to note that on this day, right here, the 17th of December, 35 years ago, I married Kim Peek right there. So there you go. There we are. See, there's, there's a picture of, of Kim and I. She hasn't changed a bit. I'm different. 
a little different, you know? So we got married in an old church with red carpet. We got a, you know, and so let's show the next one up there. This was our, uh, what do you call this, the entourage? See, there you go. And if you look down to the right there, who's that? Pastor Harv, man, in all of his glory. <laughs> we had to put Pastor Harv, he and I were bookends because we were the two tallest out of all the groomsmen, you know? And so, but those were times, uh, the guy standing next to me is Kevin, and he started a ministry, Backyard Bible Clubs, called House of Faith in San Angelo, Texas. And then right next to him is uh, Todd Carter. He is a pastor of a church in Wichita. And then um, that's Joel. And then there, is, Joel was a, uh, in the Air Force. He retired as a colonel. And his wife was a uh, full general. Uh, she was a wing commander and uh, retired. The guy next to him is, and right by Harv is Rick. Rick is a pastor of East 91st Street Church in Indianapolis or Louisville? Harv, I can't remember. Indianapolis. Thank you. Harv is now becoming my brain as well. So anyway, that, that happened 35 years ago. So I got her 35 roses right there and a, you know, a little thing. And I just want everybody to know that I made that arrangement right there. <laughs> That's just silly, I know. So, Well, we're... We're not here to celebrate me or my friends or pastors in the ministry. We're here to celebrate Jesus because he is king and he's what we're all about. And I love the way Dylan said it, you know, Jesus is the only thing that matters. You know, man, I love that. And that's what gives my life, and I hope it gives your life, it gives it focus and direction. It gives it strength, right? It gives it, it, gives it a foundation because we know who he is and we know who we are when we are in his presence. And the thing about this year is we really wanted to focus on that Jesus wasn't just a little baby born, but his birth ushered in a brand new kingdom here on earth. Jesus called it the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven. Uh, we call it the kingdom of Jesus. These are all synonyms for the same thing. So I, I want to read chapter two of Matthew to show you that right off the bat, you know, people were aware that Jesus was a king who was bringing a new kingdom. And this is the story of the wise men, also known as the Magi, okay? Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod, the king, behold, Magi from the east arrived in Jerusalem, saying, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. And when Herod, the king, heard it, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. Now, it's very important to understand that uh, the Magi were a specific caste of people. Uh, in, in this society, it was a very hierarchical and social stratus uh, kind of culture all throughout Rome. And a caste is a people who belong to a specific type of group. Like, I guess the closest thing we get to it, because we're not a caste system at all, but what we would say is that, well, this person is a medical doctor, right? So doctors have kind of that. This person is a commercial pilot. This person is a fireman, you know? This person is in the middle. So that's the closest we get, but it's not quite the strength of what the caste system was here. What they're predominantly known for is men who specialize in astrology, medicine, and natural sciences, Okay. So what's interesting is that we, we have this little notion, and the scriptures don't teach this, but I think it happened out of pragmatic, that there were three wise men. 
I think the reason why is because there were three gifts, and when they started having kids involved in the nativity plays for Christmas, you know, they, they couldn't have a whole entourage of kids. Uh, that'd be like herding cats. So they got three kids to carry three things, and then people started thinking, oh, there must be three wise men. But in reality, that's not the case. Here's a picture of a caravan uh, uh, of a cast, and these things would sometimes extend to over 100, 150 different camels carrying goods, because what this cast did is that they would travel as merchants and they would navigate by the stars across these vast landscapes of desert where there there are no landmarks to follow. And so they were known as not just stargazers, but reading the stars were critical to finding their way as they are traversing the desert. Okay, and also they were men who were very specialized in natural science and in medicines. And so these uh, magi were wealthy, they were well-provisioned, they were skilled. One of uh, my favorite uh, representations of the magi visiting the newborn uh, Christ is painted in 1423. It's called the Gente di Fabriano. And what I like about it is that it, there's a lot of color in it. And the other thing that I really like about it is it just shows this, this massive entourage behind the wise men who were bringing uh, gifts to the king. And so uh, it represents kind of... Now, the, the one thing I don't like about it is they have a lot of horses in there and it's probably mostly camels. But uh, nonetheless, it just kind of shows you how people of antiquity saw this story, okay? That this was a large group of traveling merchants from a special class. They were wealthy, they were skilled, they were well-provisioned, and they used the stars in order to navigate the sea of the desert. Verse 4, let's keep going. Now, gathering together, this is Herod, all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he began to inquire of them where the Messiah or the Christ was to be born. And they said to him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it has been written by the prophet, and now Matthew quotes Micah, and you, Bethlehem, land of Judah, are by no means least among the leaders of Judah, for out of you shall come forth a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. And when Herod secretly called the Magi and ascertained from them the time the star appeared, and he sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and make careful search of the child. And when you have found him, report to me that I too may come and worship him. Herod was a good liar. And having heard the king, they went their way and lo, the star, which they had seen in the east, went on before them until it came and stood over where the child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And they came into the house and saw the child with Mary and his mother. They fell down and they worshiped him, opening their treasures as they presented to him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned by God in a dream not to return to Herod, Herod, they departed for their own country by another way. Now, there's lots that has been written on the gifts that were given, those three gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. I would like to focus on a different question today in order to expand your thinking a little bit, and that is answering the question, why would non-Jewish men seek out a new king and then 
honor him with gifts and actually worship him. Why would they do that? And we must look to the context of this narration in order to understand what's going on. What is the context? Well, these magi were merchants that traveled. This is their livelihood. They would gather goods, highly valuable goods uh, that were from other areas, and then they would bring them to an area where they didn't exist. Gold in the Roman Empire was not mined in the land of Canaan. It was all mined out of, the largest mine was in the north of Spain, uh, along the uh, Lyon region, and it's close to the Camino de Santiago, which is the way of St. James. It's a pilgrimage that people walk along the northern coast of Spain today, and that's where the majority, it's a massive mine there, of gold was mined from. The other place was in North Africa. So Gold all had to be transported, basically, to the land of Canaan, or the promised land. The other thing that's really interesting is frankincense and myrrh. And I kind of have a little bit of uh, some pictures up there. This is frankincense. It's a lighter color. This is predominantly used as a perfume or an ointment kind of a thing. And then there is myrrh. And myrrh is a little bit darker. It's a darker resin. It's used as an analgesic. It was used, they said it had some antibiotic qualities to it. And it was used primarily as a medicine. What's really fascinating about frankincense and myrrh is that they both are tree resins. And the way you harvest the tree resin is that you would go and you would wound the tree. You would hit it with an ax or stab it with a knife And then what would happen is the tree would begin to heal itself by producing the sap, right? And then it would globule up, and then they would harvest that. And that's where frankincense and myrrh came from. But these trees do not grow in the promised land, in the land of Canaan. They only grow around the Horn of Africa, which today is down there by uh, Kuwait, Yemen, those types of places. And so they would have to uh, harvest it there, and then they would travel up through the Tigris-Euphrates river valleys, which is modern-day Iraq. They would go up there into the top of Syria, and then they would come down. So when they said east, the place where they would come from, Babylon, or these other areas, were actually due east, exactly due east of the city of Jerusalem. So that's one context that we know, the geography, where they brought their stuff and where it came from and their lifestyle and what they did for business. The other thing that I think is really interesting is that Uh, they, because it was their business, they specifically said, we are coming to find the king of the Jews that was born. Okay, now, how did they know something had happened? Well, it says they followed a star. I'm not going to get into uh, astronomy today and all these things. I've done that in the past and how people navigate by the stars. And today there are critics uh, that try to say that this is false. But when you actually take the time to dig into it, you go, man, there's an incredible amount of scientific research that they can actually go back and say, here's where these stars were moving. And that's one of the ways they date the actual birth of Jesus now is because of where the constellations were because they can kind of go back a little bit. But what I want to focus on is that they used the stars every single day. It wasn't a hobby. It wasn't something that they did on the side. It was something that they used every single day, right? It was like uh, the gas gauge in your car, you know, or the compass in your car. And what happened is something changed. Something dramatic changed. 
And so what they did is they said, we need to check this out. They checked it out and they said, this is what it means. A lot of people, scholars believe that because of where they were in Babylon and then Ashurbanipal, I think I said that right, the Persian king that conquered uh, Babylon, uh, even today, Ashurbanipal is considered the largest library of antiquity in the world today. It's really fascinating how much they found there. But in it, where was Daniel when he wrote his prophecy? Remember in earlier weeks, we were reading the prophecies of Daniel. The book of Daniel would have been in the library of Babylon. And then the library of Babylon then was conquered and taken by Ashurbanipal. I can't believe I said that three times and I got it right every single time. Somebody write that down for posterity's sake. But what happened is, is that the reason why this is critically important is These men were operating in their lifestyle, okay? They, they're operating. Something changed. They were wise enough to realize it must be investigated. They investigate it in their journeys, right? And what happens is they find what they are looking for, okay? Now, why? This is the final context that we need. Why would non-Jews come to worship the new king of the Jews, because they specifically say, where is the king of the Jews? They're not Jews. Why would they want to do that? Well, bottom line, no king, no peace. Their livelihood, their business, their capacity to move and trade goods their entire caste exists upon the political stability of the region. They want to come in. They want to say, there's a new king coming. So we are going to go and find this king. Now, I believe as they were making this journey, they're reading the gospel, of, or not the gospel, but the prophecy of Daniel. They're reading these things, and they start to realize there's a lot more here than just the simple king of a Jewish tribe but there's all these references to an eternal kingdom and a kingdom over all the earth. So they're coming here because in order for them to be prosperous, to continue in their business, they need to have a king. And they want a stable king, one that has been ordained or chosen by God, or in their mind, maybe they thought by God's. We don't know. But the point is simple. It's a very important biblical principle that comes from the fact that these non-Jews came to worship the king. And that is, there is always a wellspring from which everything flows in life. And when I honor it with my lifestyle, my resources, I am keeping the foundation of where everything flows from, my family and its prosperity and its safety flows from this wellspring. My own capacity to be productive in life, have a sense of value, flows from this wellspring. And if I honor this wellspring, and this is what these magi were doing, they were honoring this wellspring, then I know that I am keeping the foundation from which everything that flows from it strong. Why is this pertinent for you and I today? Because our society has lost this wisdom. It's gone. You see, the Magi understood 
a king, but not any king, one chosen by God, had to be in place in order for there to be all this stability that flows out of it, right? Have you ever wondered how your life might be like that? Do you have a wellspring and you know what it is and everything in your life flows out of it? And it affects the prosperity of your family, the, the emotional and spiritual health of your family. It, it protects your relationships. It protects how you do business. It protects all of these things that are going on. It even keeps you away from clicking on clickbait on the internet, if that is possible. But our society has lost this wisdom. Our society now worships all of the pragmatic things, the things that flow out of it. And because of that, what happens is we have people who are running around, people searching and seeking, and yet they get so involved in so many things without any common wellspring that ties it all together. And because of that, they lack peace. They lack peace in their life. Now, what's interesting is the Magi understood that, wow, there's a king. I want to honor this king because this success of this king influences me in my life. And I want to be at peace. And I, I, so they, when they found Jesus, it says they actually fell down and worshiped. What, what does that word worship mean? I think sometimes we really misunderstand what that word means in our society today because we think it's singing, Right? That's a part of it. But what it is, is worship is saying, I know what my priority is. I know what the most valuable thing in my life is. I orient my life around that. That's how our service, Paul says, our service becomes a spiritual act of what? Worship. See, because I know what the, mo the wellspring is, and I'm not going to let go of that. And so they gave. They took out of their great resources, right? And they gave the most honorable gifts because they said this is much more important. Here's a way to illustrate this. Um, I'm, I'm going to share kind of a story from my own personal life. And if it helps you, it helps you. If it doesn't help you, that's fine. Make up your own mind. But it just illustrates how I live out this principle. You know, I thought maybe I'll talk about somebody else, but nobody would give me permission. So, um, so I said I have to use one for my Okay. One of the things my wife loves to do is... Uh, she loves for us to go to benefits, right? We go to benefit dinners and stuff like that. Oh, these people invited us to benefit. And so over the last year, year and a half, we've gone to a whole bunch of different benefits to raise money for things. And she loves to give stuff. And what, we went to the one for the zoo, Zoo Boise, you know. And I don't know, I, I like the red pandas because every time you walk up to them, they go, you know, love the red pandas. So, so we, we, gave, we gave some money there. And I, you know, the other thing is that uh, we, we give to missions. We have some missionaries that we support. And we, we just, you know, we kind of just private thing. We do that for them. Uh, we're big fans of FCA, big fans of Fellowship of Christian Athletes. We support a Fellowship of Christian Athlete missionary every month, you know. So shout out, bro. Um, so uh, we, we support them every month. We love doing that. Uh, the other thing that we love to do, especially at Christmas time and birthdays, we love to give our kids gifts. But at Christmas time, we love to give kids gifts. And sometimes we probably do more than we should. You know, that's probably not the best. But, but here's, what's, here's what I want to share with you is that all of that, if you add it up all together, pales in comparison to what we give to our church. And the reason why is because the church is the wellspring from which all that stuff flows. 
If there was no church that was propagating the living kingdom of God here on earth, there would be no Christian schools that we could support. There would be no fellowship of Christian athletes that we could support. There would be no missionaries. There would be even no gifts to family because the church of Christ, the kingdom of God, is the wellspring from which everything else flows in my life. And for us, I want to make sure that I honor that first. And when I do that, guess what happens? Everything else falls into place. And that's what peace is all about. So all these things that we love to support, we love to. You do it how you want to do it. You do you. This is how we do us. And so I, but I want to illustrate the point is that this is what the Magi were actually doing, is that even though we're not Jewish, and even though what we're saying is that this is a wellspring of life, and what we want to do is we want to make sure that the wellspring of that life flows out. In a national sense is that, you know, we kind of talked about this before, but I just want to reiterate it is that our society is struggling. It's so divided. It's so angry. It's so upset uh, it, it, that, that there are people now who, you know, we've seen over the last couple of years, you can have a riot and burn down businesses and it's justified. We have people that are, are propagating now segregation and division and anti-Semitism, even in our own universities. We're just seeing this stuff. And we're like, man, did that just, we get rid of all that 70 years ago? How in the world is it coming back uh, now? And uh, there, now even politicians are having parties at Christmas time where they're saying this ethnic group is not allowed to come to our Christmas party. What in the world is going on? We have lost the wellspring through which it all flows. And I've said this many, many times, and I want you to hear this properly. Democracy, a republic, American republicanism is not Christianity, right? It's not. They're not the same thing, all right? But without Christianity, it would never exist. And when you get rid of the wellspring, guess what happens to all the fruit that flows out of the wellspring? Liberty, freedom, sovereignty of the individual, freedom of conscience, free speech, freedom of religion. All of those things disappear. Why? Because our society has lost the capacity to even honor the wellspring out of which all of those things have flowed even in our own nation. And that's why everything is so divided in such a problem. This lesson, this biblical principle from the Magi, I think is critical if you want to be a person that says, I'm tired of the shallow end of the pool I don't want a kiddie pool Christianity. I want the deep end stuff, right? I want, to, I want to be deep in my faith. Fluff is not enough. I want to grow deep. Well, if you want to grow deep, then live the principles because that's how you do it. It's through the path of training in righteousness, discipleship, that we are able to what? Push out into the deep, into the pool, and start living our lives as Christ has called us. That's the joy. Now, some people say, well, I don't know if I'm ready for that. You know, people drown in the deep end, you know. <laughs> you know, it's a little unstable out there, you know. The, the waves tend to be a lot calmer right here on the shore, you know, inside the bay. But you get out into the deep water, man, whoo, those, those swells can get massive. Well, what kind of a kingdom does Jesus have in the deep water? When you get out there, what does it really mean to be in the kingdom of Jesus, when you understand that he is the wellspring, the king of kings of this kingdom, and you say, I'm wondering if I should really be in that kingdom or not. Well, let's turn to John chapter 14, because we're going to read Jesus very specific about his kingdom. 
And he says, this is it. I love this uh, dialogue. I, I mean, I love John's sense of humor and the way he records what occurred among the disciples. And um, man, I wish, I can't wait to talk to John because I think he was a hoot. But um, let's get in here at verse one of chapter 14. Jesus says something very specific and he's describing his kingdom here. Listen to what he says. He says, let your heart not be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you. For I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and I will receive you to myself that where I am, there you may be also. And you know the way where I am going. So Jesus is awesome, you know. Jesus just says, look, this is a radical truth, but I am going to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place, I will come back. And heaven is where I am. It's in me. It's being with me, which, by the way, is so unlike any other belief system in the world. All you have to do is take five minutes to, to figure that out. But I am. I am heaven, right? So you will be with me in this place here. And he's like, this is it. And then Thomas goes, you know, doubting Thomas. Thomas, who always asks the most obvious question of all, you know, I don't know how Thomas got to be an apostle, uh, but the Lord picked him in his divine will. I don't understand it. But he goes, you know where I'm going. You know that this is what it's all about. This is, this is the whole deal right here about the kingdom of God. And Thomas says to him, Lord, we have no idea where you're going. And second of all, we have no idea how to get there. He goes, we, we don't know where you're going and we don't know the way. And then Jesus says the most powerful thing. He says, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. What a powerful statement. You know, I have a little graphic to kind of illustrate this, and that is there's a kingdom of this world, right? And then there's the kingdom of Jesus, and we've been talking about this throughout this entire series, and that the birth of Christ is the birth and the entry of this new kingdom into our material world, right? And so Jesus is saying, the way you get from that kingdom to that kingdom is through me, right? I am the one through me to do that. And he tells us what's in that new kingdom when we go through Jesus. The first thing he says this, let your heart not be troubled, okay? So, so the first gift in the kingdom of Jesus is the gift of peace. You see, our world is not spiraling out of control. I've been asked, are you shocked at what's going? Are you surprised at what's happening and how things are turning out? No, I am not. Why? Because what our world is doing is simply following the path of the philosophies that it has adopted. What you see happening today is a direct result of the ideologies that our society has adopted. You, what you see happening globally is a direct result of the ideologies that those groups of people have adopted. So there's no surprise here at all. And this is why, I know it gets a little annoying and I say it all the time, what you believe is one of the most important things about you. Because what you believe dictates what decisions you make, what you believe dictates what 
actions or behaviors you adopt. What you believe results in the choices you make and how you end up making them. And what happens is our society, the kingdom of this world, is so busy making decisions on ideologies and philosophies that have led them down the wrong path that the one thing that they have is troubled hearts. I mean, our world is filled with people with troubled hearts. Even here in America, people, you know, they're so angry. That's a sign of a troubled heart. They have mental issues, sign of a troubled heart. They have lostness, sign of a troubled heart. Suicidal ideation going up, signs of a troubled heart. What, what's happening? The, the wellspring. When it's Christ, says, let your heart not be troubled. I bring peace to your soul. That's why he's called the Prince of Peace. The second thing he says this, in this new kingdom, he says, believe in God, believe also in me. So, so if what you believe is one of the most important things about you, Jesus says, here is what you can believe in. Now, our society today has adopted this notion that it's just belief that makes the difference, right? Like, well, if you just believe, doesn't matter what it is, just believe, and then you're going to be Okay. You'll find yourself, believe in yourself, believe in your dreams, believe in your own happiness, believe in your prosperity. When you believe, that's what makes it happen. I may be so bold to say this is unequivocally false, and it's built on a false premise. And you know what the false premise is? I have a choice whether to believe or not to believe. And guess what? You don't. All human beings believe. All human beings breathe, all human beings sleep, all human beings eat, all human beings believe. It is your nature to believe. You cannot say, I don't believe. That doesn't make any sense. The only choice we have is not whether to believe or not to believe. The only choice we have is what do we believe in? Just like, if I have to sleep, what bed will I sleep in? If I'm gonna eat, what food am I gonna eat? I have to believe because it's my nature. So the question is, what do I believe in? And God, Jesus says right here, believe in God, believe in me. Believe in who God is and what he's doing and how he's doing it through me. Then you will be at peace. Are you getting the flavor of this new kingdom that Jesus is talking about? He's saying it's so different from the kingdom of the world. And then here's my favorite part. He says, I go to prepare a place for you. The kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, is a place designed just for you. What that means is it is a place where you belong. Now, you have to understand how radical of an idea of this was to the people hearing these words for the first time. These people were Jewish, right? And if you were living in the first century, at that time, the Temple Mount was completely Jewish and there was a massive temple up there. So Pastor Harv took me down there one time five years ago and I, I'd read about the Temple Mount my entire life. And we, might, we go up on the Temple Mount and I go, I had no idea the scale of this thing. 
Have you, you have no idea. I mean, they could put eight football fields in this. It's massive how big it is. And I, I'm walking around and I could just imagine in my mind, I've seen the artistic renderings of here's where the temple would be. And the temple represented where the presence of God. But not just the whole temple. There was the holies, which only the priests were allowed to enter. And then there was the holy of holies. And that's where the presence of God was. And it was cordoned off with this giant wall. It's like a big fabric veil. It let no light through. And the high priest was only allowed to go in there once a year. And he would go in there and no one was allowed in there. So they would tie a rope to his ankle so that if something happened in there, you know, they could pull him out because you're not allowed to go in there and get him out, right? This is how sacred and holy it was. And no one's allowed in there. No one's allowed in there. And Jesus says, I go to prepare a place for you so that where I am, you can be there too. What a radical shift into what Jesus says my kingdom is all about. It's a place for you. This is a place where you belong. I can't, I'm overwhelmed with the number of people that I read about, hear about, run into, that feel like they'd have no place to belong. And what our society has done is try to convince them, well, make up something that you are and then force everybody to agree with you and then you'll feel like you belong. I don't really understand the, the, I don't understand the logic behind that. How about I need to go where I was meant to be, right? And when I get there, and that's the final thing, is not only is the kingdom of God a place where I belong, where I am accepted, where I am loved, and I feel like I am valued, I can also be who I was meant to be. It is a place of being. He says, look, I want you to come and I prepare a place for you, I will come so that you may be where I am also. C.S. Lewis talks about this in one of his books, and he says, you know the problem with being a human being is that we can't ever understand ourselves completely, right? He says, you kind of, uh, in 1 Corinthians, he says, he quotes uh, Paul, you look in a mirror and you see dimly, right? Well, what does a mirror do? It reflects who you are, right? Your image. Okay, but you know, it's really hard to fix the hair in the back of your head with one mirror. Have you ever noticed that? Because it's 2D. And so C.S. Lewis is basically saying that we look at who we think we are, and guess what? What's reflected back is foggy. In, it's in two dimensions. You don't get the full picture. And he says, it's not until you're face-to-face with Jesus, right, because Paul goes in and says, we only know in part, we see in part, but when, we know, when we're in Jesus, the presence of, his, we, presence of Jesus, we will be fully known, right? So then we know who we are, right? That's called being. It's not just I'm loved and accepted. I know what I, I can do now. This is, I was designed to function in this way. When I was growing up, my dad had a phrase all the time that he used to hit me with, and that is, is that, son, please use the right tool for the job, right? It's, it's where you say, I have to use the right tool for the right, and have I ever asked myself if I'm actually designed for something? And if I'm designed for something, what is that? And you remember we were talking a few weeks back where we were talking about how Peter wrote, the Apostle Peter in 1 Peter 4.10, he says, everybody's been given a special gift by God, Therefore, use it in serving one another in order to manifest, manifold the grace of God in your life. 
oh, so I have a unique gift that God has given me. See, that's called being. It's something that's in my soul that God has designed. What is it? I want to know it and walk in it. And when you do and you discover what that is, guess what? You say, I not only belong, but now my life has meaning and depth because I'm being who I was meant to be. This will solve the arguments in your marriage. If you're married, you guys have a hard time talking. When you start understanding this concept, the arguments start to go away. This resolves your issues with work. Do you ask yourself all the time, do I love my job? Do I hate my job? Do I like what I'm doing? Do I hate what I'm doing? Why can't I find something that I like to do? Why can't I do this? It resolves the issue of friendships. Do you like your friends or do you not like your friends? Are your friends good for you or are your friends bad for you? It resolves all those issues because why? You understand who you're meant to be and out of being flows the answer to all of those issues and questions in your life. When you can be who you are meant to be in the kingdom of God, I can guarantee you that your life will never be the same. That's the kingdom that he brought. That's the kingdom that is the wellspring of all in our lives. That is the place of origination. Therefore, when we celebrate Christmas, when we celebrate the king, when we say Jesus Christ is King of kings and Lord of lords, we are honoring and celebrating the kingdom of Christ that has come here and flows out and brings blessing of peace and righteousness to our lives. That's a gift worth getting. Let's stand for closing prayer. Jesus, we thank you for building a place for us, and now you're saying it's time to come home. Amen.